It's Stick Figure Man, rap nerd from the Black Burbs, and I'm back with another episode of Pookie, the podcast that is accompanying my new project in collaboration with my man DJ Sean P. Now, one of the most important themes about this record is identity. Going along with identity is comfortability, comfortable in your own skin and in who you are. And I got to talk with my man M. Slago about that. And it really made me think of something I grew up with. My dad always told me, don't scratch if it don't itch and don't tap your feet if you don't like the music. And I think that's an important lesson. And it's something that I think Slago learned as well. So we're going to go into this episode and talk more about that. Don't forget to pick up the album. Yatadi, yatada. I messed it up at the end, but you can cut it or something. I don't know. Shout out to my cousin Pookie. <laughs> Okay. But I'm hum- once again I'm humbled, man, uh, that you you were willing to take the time out to chop it up with me um, about this endeavor. So uh, ultimately, uh, you got a chance to hear the record, right? Yup. You you got a chance to hear the record. Thank you, man. I appreciate you listening. Um, but uh, what I wanted to get at, man, ultimately the goal of that project is to kind of discuss what it is to be uh, a young man. And then to become uh, an adult man uh, in America and in specific what that looks like for those of us African descent in the United States. And um, I just wanted to talk to you about what that was like for you growing up, man. What was it like for you? Uh, I'm from the Kansas City area and you're from the Dallas area. Is that correct? Well, I lived in Dallas forever. I'm a, I'm a, I can't even say I'm an honorary native because I, I put my time in, but I'm from Nashville, I'm from Tennessee. So you're originally from Nashville, okay? Yep. Right on, right on. And I I spent time in Memphis, Tennessee. So we got right. the state of Tennessee in common. Yeah, we got um, we got some ties there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. What was uh what was your adolescence like growing up? And what what um, sort of awareness did you have uh, growing up in Nashville? It was I, I had a I had a early awareness. I can say that I'm grateful enough that. Um, you know, my parents, they, they, no, you know how they said it. Uh, we, we did. I, you know what I mean? They did. Mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. so I didn't have, um, I didn't have a, a rough upbringing by any means, mm-hmm. but in the same breath, you know, I got a lot of family members that didn't do. I, mm-hmm. so being, I think one thing I had early that has been, a has been kind of advantageous for me. I think over my over my my years on earth is like I've always had balance. In our neighborhood that we ended up moving to for you know the bulk, not even the pole, probably the first maybe five years of my life, five or six mm-hmm. core years of my life, we were in a very nice, we were in a decent neighborhood and it wasn't too many faces like mine. So I was privileged Relatable. to have that. And go to schools until they did like zone rezoning and everything, where I was like one of the only brown faces for like a year. And then after that, though, they started busting kids in from other sides of town. So I got a chance to integrate a little bit more on a day to day basis. But if it wasn't on my day to day thing, chilling with my family, like I stayed rooted always. So I was able to rock on this side with a certain demographic. And I also was able to rock on another side with another demographic. Um so I always had that awareness and I always understood at an early, early age that being able to balance is uh is key. And that's gonna be something that 
again, at a very early age that I recognize is going to serve me well in years to come. Fast forward, you take, you know, we'll say, well, high school years or whatever, you know, then you get another type of different uh, social construct where you have you have athletes, you have uh, quiet, secluded individuals, you have uh, the you know the 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 fantastic scholastics, and then you yeah. also just have um, you have nerds. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And luckily, I could rock in all sectors, and it was good. Like I was never out of place because I hooped, so I was never out of place with the athletes. I was a I was a I did well. Like I did well scholastically, so I was I could rock with you know the AP students or whatever the case may be. Um, I always, not always, but I got to a point in my life where I began to listen more than I talk, so I could get I could get with the secluded and more quiet, you know what I mean, uh, class, and then I could rock out with the nerd stuff too. Yeah. So like I just always had that balance, man. So I always had a, a supreme awareness, but you know, just being spending some time in Memphis, it might be a little bit different in Memphis, but you know, being in the South, like what's considered the true South. You know, there's always another. There's another. There's another level of yeah, things you got to keep layer in mind. Always, yes, yeah, another layer. So I always had that in the front of my mind too. So, you know, luckily, man, I always I had a balanced upbringing. I had a balanced upbringing, and uh, it served me well so far. Okay, how would you say that? Because uh, you mentioned that you you were able to clearly identify these kind of person groups and these in, these people who had these specific interests. How did that reflect against your own individual identity? Like when you reflect on that time uh, of kind of coming of age, do you remember that feeling smooth? Did you remember feeling that that feeling anxious? Did it did it ever put you in precarious situations or uh, how did you navigate that in a way that was comfortable with your own identity? I guess is what I'm saying. Um, for. Like you got a chance, you know, we we got a chance to chop it up a few times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the brother Sean Patrick, he know me pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um I th- for me, I don't think it was much of a challenge. Cause I've mm-hmm. always been pretty even killed. It takes a lot to get a rise out of me. Um so with that, it just all it wouldn't it never was a thing. It just kind of was mm-hmm. oh, this is how I'm moving. And mm-hmm. it wasn't any stresses there. And I think Understanding that balance and and being very self aware. Mm-hmm. Um, my my thing is this, and I I think this might even sum it up. Is my ultimate goal is to always be a gentleman, and my definition of a gentleman is somebody that makes everybody around them comfortable, and that's how I move. Like I move with that at the forefront always. So it never was a thing for me. It never was a problem. It never was a stressor. If I come in cool and because I've been in these different pockets before, I know how to approach it. I don't talk to anybody the same way. The message is always going to be the same or because it's coming from me. You know what I mean? But how you deliver the message, sometimes I'm able to meet people more times than often, honestly. I'm able to meet people where they are. And it makes a big difference. Bless you. Um, so, so yeah, it never was a thing for me. It just was always, yo, be a gentleman. Make people around you comfortable. And that's it. Right on. So more and more, there's this discussion, whether it's and I, I'm I, I'm curious sometimes if it's only happening online or is this happening in, in real life? 
there's this constant conversation that's going around. What is manhood? What does it mean to be masculine? What does it mean? What is toxic masculinity? What is, you know, this, that, and the other. And a lot of that, at least when it comes to, to black folks is rooted in some history, uh, that, that does include some, some, uh, some, some dignity being removed from us early on. So it seems like there's definitely some pushback and some back and forth and some new ideas. What kind of ideas do you have about masculinity? Um, and, or does it have anything uh, to do with race as well? And how do you, how do you view either that conversation or what kind of definition have you kind of arrived at now that you've grown into the man you are today? It's funny, like the timing of that is crazy. You know, social media and the algorithm is something, something serious. Um, I just saw uh, Tyler Quali piece to him. I just saw him post something, uh, a clip of a brother breaking down a comment or two that somebody made about uh, alpha males and beta males and all that. Old some silly kind stuff. of way Hooters was involved in it. I don't know how Hooters got. Oh, me, I saw that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But some yeah, kind I of saw way. That. I saw that. Some kind of way that was all involved, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But I saw that this morning. So the timing of that is, is, is crazy. But I think, um, I do think that a lot, uh, not a lot, but I think a, a heavy, a heavy piece of for, and I say brown because I, I really believe in speaking truth to power. Ain't no, I don't see black when I see you. I don't see black when I see me. I see brown, so I say what I see. I speak truth. So. Hopefully that catches on to more people. You know what I mean? I think it's a self-definition thing too, but that's another mm-hmm. conversation. That's a whole nother conversation. Um, yeah. That's a whole nother conversation. But I do think for for brown people and brown men specifically, I think there is this subconscious and underlying um need for some of us to to really establish ourselves in whatever that may be or whatever that entails. So whether it's being the the most visible in a room if it's being the most desired in a room if it's being uh the most intimidating in a room whatever that case is whatever whichever way you identify with this is how i can this is how i can can put my stamp and 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 secure my masculinity to or or prove my masculinity to whoever is around me i do think that there's an underlying um layer of necessity there for brown men. And I think it I think it definitely can be unfortunate in a lot of cases because like you know, keeping it all the way funky, man, we um no, we got kids. And I have a son and a daughter. But specifically for my question. son, I've had conversations with yeah. him. He's 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 borderline preteen at this point. And I've had conversations with him already, kind of dipping his foot, dipping his toes in the pool. I'm like, yo, it's it's only really one or two things in this world that'll make you make dumb decisions because you want to prove something. And that's women and money. And even the money kind of goes back to women sometimes. And most And I sometimes link those to pride. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? You know, so uh, this yeah, this fear of being embarrassed or being in a space and you know not being recognized right. you know but that goes into like because it, it kind of goes to the conversation the little post we, we were talking about early like that primal aspect of it or the animalistic aspect of it is 
if your pride is broken in the front of a female, in front of a woman, then that's insult to injury, mm-hmm. right? You can, I would, I would bet that most men can deal with feeling disrespected and having their pride kind of, you know what I mean, set aside in private or in a smaller audience that don't involve any, any, any women. And it ain't going to mm-hmm. be that big of a deal. Right. But when you throw the adoration and, and, and the attention of a woman, Ooh. then you amplify the situation. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So that I think is where that comes from. It's I need to establish myself because I've been suppressed for so long. I've been, do we say disenfranchised anymore? I'm gonna say it now. We've been disenfranchised for so long. Yeah. You know what I mean? Accurate. That Accurate. I need I need to I need to establish myself and have that presence. But what that boils down to is at the bottom level of it, if you get down to psychology and the id of it all, that core necessity in your psychology in your in, in your mind and your psyche, it's I need to make sure that I'm in a space that I'm desired. Period. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm in a desirable state, mm-hmm. and I think uh, I think that that toxic masculinity and that conversation really stems around that. It's the the purpose and the reason of it. I don't think has ever changed, but I think the the urgency that we feel comes from the suppression and the years of of, of dirt that's been done. Yeah, and it, I will I'll just piggyback off of that. Yeah, I think a lot of it just has a lot to do with being made to feel. Like we're not being our complete selves in certain spaces, you know, in in white spaces. I I uh I think a lot about how um you know, you can you can be your authentic hundred thousand percent self at home. Yeah. And home has a a lot of different meanings. But the core meaning is, you know, mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin, you know, your tribe. Yeah. Uh and then when you're outside of your tribe, um, there are different expectations and there are different dangers. So I think a lot of times for us, we find ourselves shrinking in these spaces. And I think uh, more recently, though, that that's been kind of lifted. And as people become more comfortable with themselves, uh, they continue to to show that, you know, 100 percent version of themselves is completely acceptable and people just got to get with it or get out of the way. Uh, Saying that uh, in the tribe, usually we're given uh, names. So the reason the record uh, I released is called Pookie because that is my family nickname, right? Um, And uh, when I think about it, it used to be a real serious source of embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Uh, outside of my tribe, right? The tribe. Like, in my house, it's fine. But when mom comes to pick you up from school, or you done got in trouble, you gotta get picked up by the principal, and she yelling, "Pooge, what you done did?" Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. It's like, oh man, like I don't want people to know that's what people call me. Do you right. have a family nickname, or are you willing to share it with the audience today? Actually, man, I don't. I don't really mm. have like a family nickname. Um, I do have a couple spot nicknames though, like uh-huh. certain family yeah. members, you know, certain members of the tribe. But overall, like there's not a there's not a there's not a, a classic one. Like with my full mm-hmm. name, you know, being Christopher, 
then you know it's just you already get a pad they're just gonna call you chris right and right. then there's variations because there's little chris and there's big chris i've always been a little chris um mm -hmm. when you have to you have to delineate between which one in the family um but a little chris yeah you know what i mean like that's about as good as it gets i i will share one though my uncle uh my uncle my uncle bird rest in peace talk about tribe mm -hmm. name uncle bird or t bird he called mm -hmm. me buzzer he never had children um and i was his youngest nephew i'm mm -hmm. the youngest nephew so none of the older nephews or my cousins had a particular tribe name that tied to him directly and i take i, I take a lot of pride yeah. And knowing that I was buzzer to tie with T Bird. You know what I that's mean? Right. So that's right. That's, that's a cool one for me. Yeah. And I'm, I think about the power of names. That's the thing about it is you attach, well, I personally attached that name to my family. So as I got older, it stopped becoming a source of embarrassment and it became a source of, you know, familial love that I could recognize. Yeah. And when people use that name for me, it means this. And it, it gives me this sort of emotion. So that's really, that's really dope. That's a dope story about your uncle, man. Cause he loved you so much since he didn't have his own cheering. that he said, nah, this is, you yeah. know what I'm saying? This is mine. I claim him, you know? You know, I never got a chance to ask him if that was, if, no, I didn't want to put nobody on the spot like none of my cousins or nothing. Cause I sure yeah. would have rubbed it in their face. You know, I'm, I'm that guy too. But, <laughs> <laughs> I never got a chance to ask him, like, yo, like, why? You know what I mean? Why'd you choose that nickname? Um, but uh, for my own purposes and reasons, just knowing what I know, like, I take a lot of, I take a lot of pride in knowing that in my mind, he thought enough of me to be like, yo, this is my man. Yeah, for sure. Now, how did you come up with your, speaking of names, you know, it's a hip hop rite of passage. Of course. To, to come up with your rap name, your producer name, whatever pseudonym you come up with, your signer. Yo, John Hancock, yeah. for what you do in your art. How did you come up with uh with Slago? Hard A. Man, it was um so I'm a big I'm a big fan of Black Sportation films. Awesome. Okay. So in the Bill Cosby and Sidney Poitier trilogy, mm -hmm. there's a character named Mongo Slade. Got you. So that was the name that I chose to go forth in the culture with. Yeah. But then I found out there was a cat in New Jersey called Mongo Slade, the Superfly Thug. Mm -hmm. And I was like, nah, I need to do something different then. Yeah. Just so happens, I got a good friend of mine, uh, another producer, actually, producer MC, uh, Salvation out of Detroit. Peace to him. Mm -hmm. And he used to call me Slago as a joke because Fago pops, you know, that, that's the thing up in Detroit and Michigan. Mm -hmm. Better made mm -hmm. chips and a, and a Fago, you good. Yeah, yeah. Um, so he used to call me Slago because, judging by my attire, I'm not one for flash. Like, I ain't really the big colorful dude. Like, I keep it real earth tone. So he used yeah. to joke and call me Slago because, you know, the colorful flavors or whatever. Uh, so when I started thinking about changing my name, I'm like, yo, I'm just going to go with, go with M. Slago. Because and, I, and we had never written it out, so I never knew how it looked. But I want to take the Y out just for obvious reasons. I don't want Fago coming mm -hmm. after me. So <laughs> um, you know, they had you know they had insane clown posse too. I didn't want no, I didn't want no. Smoke. Yeah, you didn't want so, that relation. Nah, not at all, Jack. 
But uh, but that was it. So M Slago came as a rendition from Mongo Slay, and then uh, the fun, you know, the fun joking name that my brother Salvation would call him, and that's how I, oh. ran, I ran with that. That's super dope, that's super man. Dope. That makes me think too, man, of like uh, the importance of location. Like uh, it was important for me when I started making music. You know, representing where you're from is such an important thing. For me, it was a big deal because I was from a market that was super small that no one really knew anything about or brought attention to. Um, do you think that this is just kind of a question that came to me was, do you think that the internet bringing hip hop to everybody was a good, like a good thing in that we lost a lot of like regional sound? Like now we're, I'm out here in Dallas and my first interaction with Dallas rap music was big tuck. Yeah, I'm lying. I'm lying though, because it was really DOC. But DOC was like a. Oh yeah, but we didn't know then though. I didn't even know he was from Dallas. Right, we didn't know when we first heard DOC. I'm with you. I'm in the same boat. All right, so so I think Tuck was the first time I identified like, oh, if you're from Dallas, there's a there's a very good chance that you sound like this. This is the style of music that you are likely to be to be creating. Um, just like New York had boom bap, it was hip. Like when you hear boom bap music, you immediately right. go, "That's from New York. This is from there." Do you think that's a thing that's positive or negative now that regionalism has kind of died down because of the internet? I don't think it's a negative at all. I think okay. it has all the positives and all the potential in the world. It's just mm-hmm. that because in the greater scheme of things, that that access is still new. Mm-hmm. I think that's gonna. I think it's gonna hammer itself out. I think. I don't think it's a negative though. In the meantime, growing pains are definitely happening. Yeah. But I don't think it's a negative by any means. Because one thing for sure, two things for certain is if you think about it, if you look at specifically, I'm gonna say the West Coast. The West Coast style is intact. It hadn't changed. They still and they still pushing it. And yeah. they still rocking. Like it hasn't changed at all. Um, well, I won't say it hadn't changed. It hasn't strayed from the core of what made it what it is. So I me and my man, man, me and my homie T Diddy, man, uh Tonesy from Old Jones, for those who are familiar with the old Jonesy instrumental album. We talk about this often. The West Coast, they have maintained their core. Of course. Elevation is going to happen if you're doing it the right way. So there's always going to be elements to kind of bleed in and out. But the core of it is the same and it rocks and jams just as hard as it ever did. And it will continue Mm -hmm. to do so, I believe. The South, because the South, quote unquote, has had the longest run at the Mm -hmm. top of the hip hop pyramid um, as far as regions go. Yeah, say that. A lot of that influence has seemed to, you know, spill out in other areas. So there's a there's a blurred line there. But I do think that I believe the time moves circular and I do, I understand how growing pains work. So I think that with time and letting the things happen as they're happening now, in the next, I'll, I'll put a time frame on, but in a few years from now, I think we're going to see a whole new elevation and emergence of types of styles is going to propel things even further. Because everybody's going to get tired of sounding the same. Yeah, I was going to say, because I sure hope so. I feel like ever since Drill took <laughs> off in Chicago, 
that to be a drill like I and I may be assigning too much uh weight on drill music, but yeah. I can't I can't help but feel like its popularity has led to some very misguided choices on the street. You know, guys Agreed. you know, naming the guys they shot at, naming it the guys they sh- plan to shoot at. You know, and and putting that stuff all out in the public, I just can't help but feel like, like we talked about being young people who, to circle back and to make it a full circle conversation, you're dealing with people's pride, you're dealing with people's egos, you're dealing with women, and this elevates or exacerbates this need to prove oneself. Uh, And then sometimes it's violently, you know? Yeah. Uh. So, and even with that, I, I think that still that still goes into something that we've seen in hip hop over time too. Is like once you mm-hmm. see something that works or you see that that blueprint, then you're gonna follow it. A lot oh, of yeah, people for sure. follow that. You know what I mean? It depends again, and this also gets boils down to desire and passion and purpose. But mm. if you just in it, you know what I mean, trying to get some clout or get some attention or some fame then you're going to take whatever's working. So whoever those early drill artists were that, that whichever ones hit, mm-hmm. and Chief the, 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 yeah, the yeah. brother saw that, they were like, yo, that's what we're going. We're going that way. Especially his hometown, we're going that way. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Oh, for sure. Why Why not? Yeah. You know, there's no reason to make a burger a different way. They've been making burgers the same way. <laughs> Only thing we start changing up was condiments and you, you know, know what I'm saying? saying? Toppings, but at the end of the day, a burger is a burger. Is, is yeah, we putting a pepper on this one, yo. This is a little pepper. Look, <laughs> <laughs> well, pepper. Oh, we use different kind of bacon, though. Like, I go to, um, mm. this is completely random, but I go to this uh, overpriced uh, uh, gourmet burger place by my job right now, downtown Fort Worth. Every time I get it, I feel like a sucker because I'm like, man, this is really just a burger, <laughs> man. <laughs> I could have made this. I feel like the Eddie Murphy skit when he is like, hey, that at the house. I turned yo, into Murphy, that guy. Yo, for those who don't know, for the people listening and tuning in mm-hmm. and checking it out, post, you no know, ex post facto or whatever. Yo, the burger scene in Dallas is stupid. It's very serious. It's it's crazy. Like, this very Dallas serious. Work burger scene is serious. Like, here in Nashville, since I moved back to Nashville, the chicken scene here is ridiculous. Yo, Nashville has a very. Does Nashville really have that very like intense like hipster energy happening in it? Like I've always heard that, but I don't know how true it is. Not really. Not okay. really. Um there's pockets, but there's pockets everywhere. Yeah. But yeah. nah, not really. Um hipster community kind of becomes standard nowadays. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, just with the way things are now for what you consider to be hip or be hipster. Mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of those elements are just kind of widespread across, excuse me, across everywhere. And Nashville definitely has its pockets. Um, Nashville is changing a lot, though. There's a lot of mm-hmm. establishments and or established areas and neighborhoods and monuments and things of that nature that are they don't it don't matter so much anymore, which is sad. But you know, that's kind of unfortunately one of the things will change. The only thing that's constant it's. Sometimes you gotta make you gotta get rid of some of that to make room for some of the new. You know, it stings, but you know, some mm-hmm. things I wish I would have liked to not. I would have liked to seen stay, but you know, it is what it is. Sad to say. Right on. Well, we gonna wind it down, man. I had this question prepared uh, for the guests. 
You I got notes, ask. man. You can't be coming in here with notes, man. That ain't cool. Man, I got notes, man. I'm trying to be look, Sean. <laughs> look, man, Sean got me being professional, okay? Sean got serious production happening. He's got he's got plans and ideas. I'm as soon saying. as this gets done, it's gonna get chopped up in all these ways. It's gonna be very crazy filters and, and <laughs> all kind. Just prepare yourself Yo, for, to see before, yourself a certain way. <laughs> before you ask this question. Because uh-huh. I'm, I'm I'm looking at the quality of the camera, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the ambiance of the back. Don't don't edit this either, Sean. Like the the, <laughs> the ambiance of the background. And he said, "Don't edit this. What he's don't about edit to this. It's it's wonderful, and I can see, I can see his influence. I can see the effort. I can see the attention to detail. We hear. Oh it. yeah. And I told I'll say this too, because we didn't we didn't even talk about the record much at all. But the attention to detail." And the record of what you were trying to convey and what he was able to put underneath that is spot on. And I think for what you're doing in these conversations now, the ambiance, the quality is spot on for what for the conversation and the questions and things that we've been talking about so far. So definitely shout out to to the brother DJ Sean Patrick. Man, DJ Sean Patrick is the executive producer of everything happening. All I did was rap. I showed up <laughs> and I I put words together and I was black in 1995 and I wrote about it. That's really <laughs> that's really all I brought to this to the scenario. You feel me? Um, hey man, that was enough though. That was enough. <laughs> it was but, enough. You know, it was enough. That was enough. Nah, shout out to Sean, man. He's hiding in the back. He's trying to play it humble, but his influence is definitely uh, earmarked all over, watermarked all over this. So thank you, Sean. Yeah. Yeah, he playing it cool still too. He like, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah welcome, I do's man. this. I do this. There he is. There he is. That's my Say man. less. You know you how talk I about, do. You talk about you talk about tribe and community, man. Like yeah. going the few times I got a chance to like whenever we get together, it's a riot straight up and down. But when mm-hmm. I would come to his crib, like it's so comfortable. You sit down, you get you know slump. You know, you might pass gas in there. You just never know. Like you just get really, real comfortable. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of farting in here. And he says it's all good every time. There's put there's people who will fight you over that, but this guy. Nah, Sean let cool. Hey yo, if you if you record with Sean, he will let you fart. He will let you Straight fart. <laughs> Don't delete this part. This is actually the most important part of the whole thing. We talked all about, you know, black identity. No, we talk about farting in the studio. This is the studio. most important. <laughs> the most important part. Nah, the, the final question is. If there was one thing you could tell, uh, there's a time machine. You can go back to a pivotal time in your life and upbringing. You want to tell young, young Slago something. And you only got, you know, because in the movies, you know, it's got to be dramatic. So you only got this much time to tell him. The young Slago, what do you say to him? After he figures out that is you, because that happens in the movie too. You're really me? You got to confirm this. Yeah, you wish like, for no, something in his ear. You like, oh yes, it's me for real. It's you, <laughs> it's but it's me, me for real. Prove it that you're the one. And yeah, after you get all that out the way, <laughs> the time is running out. You got to jump back into the portal. What do you tell young Slaker? The thing I tell the younger me is, don't second guess it. Go for it. Period. Um, I'm a I'm a self-identified overthinker. 
Mm, that come, it's a gift and a curse. Mm-hmm. So it's a gift in, in more and it's been a gift for in more situations than it's been a curse. But in some of those instances, that overthinking and and taking too much time before you take action, you can lose out on some things or miss out on on certain things. So that would be the message. Hey, don't overthink it, man. Go for it. Don't overthink it. That's such an important message. I think many of us need to hear it, myself included. I still have a terrible habit of of trying to break something all the yeah. way down to the tiniest particle, and then I miss I miss out. Yeah, even we, if we I don't talk miss about it. that before, like you and I. Yeah, me and you've that had before. that conversation. Yeah, it's like, but sometimes, man, that intuition is the best. I call it God. People call it different things, you know. But that intuition, that inner knowing. Go with it. We, yeah. my folk, my daddy would say, should have went with my first mind. With your first mind, that's what, go with your go with your first mind. That's the old wisdom version of of you know trusting your gut and all the stuff you hear in the corporate books. Like, go with your gut, man. Go with, what you, go with what you know. Philly all that stuff. Jellies, you know what I'm saying? Philly. <laughs> <laughs> that's Philly, that's yeah. what's up. Feel it in my jellies. I feel it in my jelly. Just go, man. Just go sometimes, man. Shout out to my cousin Pookie. Pookie! First, I want to thank all my guests for being so open and honest with me and having a conversation. If there's any thoughts you want to share with us, go ahead and leave a like or comment in the little box underneath where you leave comments and stuff. And um, yeah, Pookie out now. Play this in your whip, shouty. <laughs> That's it.